This program looks at the impact of rapidly rising fuel and food costs in one of the poorest regions in the country. Northland reporter Lois Williams investigates what sort of pain that's causing in her community and how people are coping. In Hokianga, a colour deepest red on the deprivation maps, they pay more for petrol than just about anyone else in New Zealand. $2.27.9 per litre at Omapari's Gasoline Alley. And that was last week. It's the freight, they say. And you can divide the populace into groups based on how they react to that. It's horrendous, isn't it? The, co- the price is to fill this things up nearly, it's nearly 100 bucks. I'd be lucky I sold my V8. There are those who exclaim to their friends at the exorbitant cost but go right on buying petrol and fish and cheese. There are the families who've cut back on travel and some food items. But there are now those whose budgets and families are falling apart because they have no way to counter such a rapid and unprecedented rise in the cost of living. Good afternoon. So I'm just nothing speaking to Sharon. Um, what you could do is um, right now with her ring um, all of the camping grounds to see whether you can get something temporary for the next couple of days, um, which would be better than the bus shelter. Right? It's late afternoon at the Salvation Army Centre in Whangarei. Sharon Bain, the service manager, is trying to find a bed for a young teenage girl who's left home after a family row. She spent last night huddled in a city bus shelter. Uh, try YWCA. I believe they're full. I believe most of the camping grounds are full. And if we get to the end of the day, we have nowhere, then we'll need to do some creative thinking. It's a trend that's become increasingly common in Whangarei just in the last few months, homeless teenagers. Sharon Bain says low-income families hit by rising food and fuel costs are moving in together to save on rent, and the teenagers are walking out, unable to bear the overcrowding. We would probably see between four to five cases a week. And sometimes when families are getting together to do that in a big way, um, that's sometimes where the meltdown occurs. So we do see families getting together to share rent, to share food costs, but as that becomes tougher and tougher, um, it's, it's then when we start to see the, the squabbling over who's doing what and you know, the, the young girl that's coming in today has spent last night on the street. There's another trend that's alarming the long-serving soldiers of the Salvation Army. Sharon Bain says the demand for food parcels has gone up 49% in the last three months and there have been 500 new clients through the doors since January. That's twice the number of new clients they saw last year. We're beginning to see more and more people on low wages. And some of that is um, the climate as those that have um, tightened their belts a little bit with higher petrol, higher food prices, then it starts to have an impact on some of our painters and contractors not being able to get as much work or finding that the overtime that used to be there just isn't there and that's what they were were relying on living on. So there's those types of situations that are, are starting to trickle down and have an impact. And other Whangarei community workers are also reporting signs of distress they haven't seen before. Thank you. Anne Niha is a Plunkett nurse who works with some of the neediest families in Whangarei. Oh, look, I've had the, the privilege of working with the same families for the last two and a half years. That's the period that I've been employed for with Plunkett. And um, the increase in food prices and petrol prices has, has, has been shocking for families. Um, obviously there's going through their budget the disposable income is basically no disposable income. 
okay, so something's got to give. I've seen very resilient families just crumbling. And Neha says up till this year, very poor families have been just getting by with strict budgeting and some poverty strategies possibly unique to the north, like selling your heater in December to help pay for Christmas. But the Plunkett nurse says she realised something was up when the seasonal sell-down of humble assets continued into the new year. Before Christmas, families do start preparing for Christmas, so they will be doing things like start what I call asset stripping. And then came February, March, um, cell phones were going, selling their cell phones. And that's a big, you know, that's main communication. Then most recently, it's car seats. It could be the safety things in the home, smoke alarms, stair gates. Yeah, not in all families, but in, in particular families. It's the safety issue that bothers Plunkett the most. Rose Takueramita manages the hiring of children's car restraints for Plunkett. Parents pay a $50 bond and $34 to rent an infant car seat for six months. But she's also seeing a disturbing trend this winter. Fewer people are being able to afford the initial cost of buying a seat. But we have had a few people who, because of being squeezed financially, they're returning their seats too early to get the bond to go and spend the money. Mm. Sometimes they just say, oh, it's for bills, or I need it for the weekend. And Neha says families who were paying rent to private landlords last year are giving up the struggle and moving in with family members who rent housing New Zealand homes. That cuts their rent and power bills, but she's seeing more problem drinking, more drug use and more gambling as the stresses of overcrowding set in. And she's seeing more recurring infections in the children. Typically I could be visiting like three, three families in a house. So big issues with overcrowding or inappropriate housing, substandard housing even. Um, some families living in garages. And lots of big issues around um, preventable illnesses. The gastroenteritis, the, the chickenpox, the impetigo, the school sores. Moving up the food chain, people on benefits with some part-time work are also finding it tough, but they have a little more scope to wrangle the budget. Linda, a single parent on the domestic purposes benefit supporting two young children, earns an extra $40 a week cleaning a friend's house. She has a mortgage, but a few weeks ago she had to ask for a payment holiday to catch up on bills. And in that time, interest rates, petrol and food prices have shot up even further. I'm doing all right at the moment because I took that mortgage holiday. So at the moment I've got that little bit of extra cash, but that's only going to be for a few months. And then once that mortgage holiday stops and the, my um, repayments will be adjusted and increase, and then if the interest rates have gone up, they're going to increase some more. And because I've still got equity in the house, I'm very tempted to get a loan and to increase the mortgage, you know, so that I've got some cash, like 10 grand, pay off the visa, and, you know, just do things with it that we need done. Linda says her biggest dread is not being able to afford medical help for her children. While doctor's visits are free for children under six, one of her daughters is now eight and accident prone. But the ACC surcharge is now $20 and the government hasn't yet managed to persuade Whangarei GPs to treat the under sixes free if they become ill after hours, which they frequently do. Quite often they're full and you can't get in, so then you're down to White Cross and then that's $40 for a visit, and then the, the prescription charges, antibiotics and some cream of $13, so it's $53 to take it to the doctor. What does that do to your budget? Well, it blows it, because you end up, 
doing it on Visa card or what can you go without because every week, every cent is accounted for. My petrol, I used to be able to put $30 in and that would last me for the whole week of running around, doing the ballet run, the school run and the Bernardo's run. Now I'm putting in like $50 and I'm just making it, you know, it's right on empty but I know that I'll be okay. And then it makes any extra little trip, like if you wanted to zip out to see a friend, that's it. You don't do it. I don't do anything extra unless it's to do with the kids. Quinn, a tertiary student in Whangarei, says the rising costs are forcing him and other students to skimp even more than usual on food, heating and health costs. His student allowance covers his rent of $140 a week and his power and phone bill. His part-time hospitality job used to just cover the cost of food, petrol to get to tech and medication, but only just. And suddenly it doesn't. You know, you basically make enough to survive week to week and then if anything comes up, you know, like you need to get your car fixed or you need to go to the doctor or anything like that, you end up putting it off or going without and then you risk getting fines or you risk getting sick or, you know, things like... I've got a prescription for a medication that I take every day and I went a week and a half without any medication because I didn't have enough money to go to the doctor to organise to get another script to continue the medication. Petrol costs in particular are forcing changes in Northland households. Living out of town on a scenic lifestyle block or in one of the many attractive coastal communities has been a popular choice for many families, but there are signs that's changing. To let signs are popping up on rental houses in places like Nungaru, 22 kilometres from Whangarei. And in the paper this week, a house at Whangarei Heads was advertised for $200 a week, about 100 less than the going rate. Cheap rent proclaimed the ad because of petrol prices. And perhaps because the cost of driving to work is driving good tenants back to the city. We are in a situation where we're facing redundancy, well, my husband is, and we've had a company car up until now, so we're going to have to purchase our own vehicle, so we have moved into town to try and save on petrol costs. Robin and Matt Simpson and their two teenagers used to rent a house in the country north of Whangarei. That's where they prefer to be. But with a total income of just over 80000 they've had to make some changes, not just to where they live, but to what they eat. So I've actually started buying by specials rather than by what we would be prefer to be eating. That's probably the biggest change. Fruit and vegetables has been our biggest increase, I think. Vegetables at the moment are horrendously priced. And so instead of buying fresh, we started buying frozen because it's cheaper and they go further. I used to sort of buy, try and have chicken twice a week, red meat maybe once or twice a week. Every now and then we would have fish, but that's always been a bit of a luxury. Now it really does depend what's on special. If there's no chicken on special, we won't have it that week. Because when you've got two teenagers, um, you think of them as kids, but effectively you're feeding four adults. The changes in what people are eating as food costs rise have health officials worried. Dr Jonathan Jarman, Northland's Medical Officer of Health, says there have been times in the past, like the war years, when people went without. And he says initially it might not seem a bad idea to ration foods like cheese and butter. But what's happening now is that we don't have shortages of food which is what happened during the war, what we have now is shortages of high-quality food because people 
can't afford them. I um, got some information from a nutritionist uh, who works in Whangarei and she said that people now are tending to buy things that are on specials, they're eating less fresh fruit and vegetables and they're having less variety in, in their diet. And this is for people who don't have a lot of money. I, I understand that people who are reasonably well off the increasing prices actually makes very little difference. So what we're talking about is a health impact that is only affecting a certain part of our population. Poorer people and poorer people already have increased risks for certain diseases. Anne Nihar agrees. She says some families she sees on her Plunkett visits are changing their food habits in ways that can only damage their health. But with no petrol to get into town till payday, their options are limited. A lot of families used to come into town, which is like 15 minutes, and shop at the larger supermarkets in town. Now they're shopping at local dairies, and of course the markup can be quite considerable. Um, we've also seen families, especially with the food prices in particular, choosing, let's say, unhealthy food choices, like a loaf of bread and $4 chips can feed all their kids, you, you know, which is far cheaper than, than potatoes, vegetables and, and meat. Dr Jarman says there's been a drop-off in people turning up for health appointments in the north and it's fairly obvious the problem is petrol. They are missing their Plunkett appointments with their children. They are unable to uh, go to the hospital for appointments to see specialists and so on. This, of course, is, is a particular problem for people who live in the country. Some country areas in Northland, you might have to drive 50 k's to fill up your car in the first place, to get the petrol in the first place. So it probably has more impact on people in country areas. And the people in country areas in Northland, apart from the farmers, tend to be Māori. Small towns like Moirewa, where the average income is about $13,000 a year, are especially vulnerable to high food and fuel prices. There are few local services, no public transport to larger towns like Kaikohi and Kirikiri with their supermarkets and warehouse stores. Ngaho Davis of the Moirewa Community Trust says people accept there's nothing they can do about the price of fuel, but he says they're bewildered and angry at the onslaught of price rises that have put basic locally produced foods out of their reach. But when you start talking about the cost of things like butter, cheese, the, some some real staple foods which you know we create here. You got to ask the question. Somewhere along the line, somebody's making it. And when you talk to things like Fonterra, Fonterra blame well, uh, uh, maybe the farmers and the farmers blame Fonterra. But where the issue sits is that down the line, the least of our people in our society are the ones that are actually really feeling the impact of these things. Ngaho Davis says Moriwa people are carpooling when they can, but many can't now afford solo trips to town. The exception still is travel to important hui or tangihana. He says despite deepening poverty, people would rather go into debt than miss those events. It's something you can't not do. You know, and people will get probably into more debt, and they'll ex- overextend themselves to, to do that because it's what's expected. I... I can't say for sure, but I know that a lot of people, and we have, and I just have gone through a spate where there have been quite a few this weather. A lot of our older people are, are passing on, 
and that does that also puts pressure but when that time comes you do what you have to do there's no questions asked this is what we do a lot of people probably like in the western world say well that's stupid you know you if, if you're doing that can't you see it's going to cause problems well when it comes to some cultural things there are certain things they'll put first and the cultural uh, tikanga practice will come first and the other will have to wait. And people say, well, that's wrong, and it puts hardship on your families, but that's who we are. Those are the things that define us as Māori. Also taking the hit is the voluntary sector. The North Haven Hospice in Whangarei depends on its 300 volunteers for everything from gardening to cooking. But most of the volunteers are older people on fixed incomes. And the manager, Helen Blacksland, says those who live out of town are starting to pull out because of petrol costs. We've had several calls saying can only probably come once a week now instead of the three times and I love coming to the days where we do um, special things for patients but I just can't afford to do that anymore and I'd, I'd love to be able to pay them some petrol money but that would put our costs up this year. I'm starting the year with a $180,000 deficit budget. I don't know where that money's going to come from. Age Concern is reporting the same trend. Juan Duxfield, Age Concern's Far North manager, says the organisation's been trying to find volunteers to visit lonely elderly people in their homes. But the latest recruitment drive has pulled in just a handful of offers. Two years ago we, we didn't have any difficulty getting volunteers. Um, but over the last couple of years, uh, replacing our volunteer volunteers has been much more difficult. And we can only say that it is as a result of petrol rises. And as petrol prices rise, so do petrol thefts. One of the most brazen happened just last month at Whangarei's Gull service station. Inspector Paul Dimery. The uh, person came in, filled his car up and uh, drums of petrol, um, amounting to over $600 worth of petrol, and drove off. It's very frustrating for police. Um, I think they should be uh, putting forecourt attendants out there and they should be having prepaid pumps so that people can't just fill up, drive off, and um, then the police expected to investigate the matter. Kia Tato. Welcome. Welcome everybody. Um, we've had a bit of an overwhelming response tonight, so I apologise to those of you that haven't got a brochure. We printed off 45, optimistically. At a meeting in Kerikeri on one of the coldest nights of the year, nearly 100 people have turned out to ponder what all this means, why the prices just keep on rising, where it's all heading, and what, if anything, they can do about it. The thing that underneath, at a subconscious level, at least, we all know that something is wrong. But because we don't know where to start, we don't know what to do, we don't know who to talk to it about, we don't do anything at all. So tonight we're hoping that we can scratch the elephant in the room and go a little bit further than just talk about it. Ken Ross is a community development officer with the Far North District Council and an advocate for the fast-growing Transition Towns movement. The movement, founded in the UK, aims to help communities brace themselves for the shocks of peak oil and climate change. Ken Ross says to survive and avoid chaos and anarchy, people need to first accept that the current food and fuel crisis is not just a temporary glitch. What a lot of people don't realise is just how much fuel goes into producing our food. In, in the United States, the average food item for every kilocalorie of food or kilojoule of food that you have, about 10 kilojoules of fossil fuel energy has to go into producing that food item. In New Zealand it ranges between one and four 
But what it actually means is that there's a huge subsidisation of food production by cheap oil. But for us in Western society at the moment, the really pressing things that are going to determine whether we survive or not is how quickly and how successfully we rise to these twin challenges, the carbon challenge, the, the, the fossil fuels and the, the effects that they're having on our climate. About 50 New Zealand communities, some of them suburbs rather than towns, have started the transition town process. Ken Ross says the aim is for communities to become as self-sufficient as possible and wean themselves away from oil and fossil fuels. It has an answer in that it, it brings people back to their community. The, the concept of relocalisation, one of the things that's going to be seriously affected is our ability to travel our ability to transport food and, and all those sorts of things. If you go into a, a supermarket, I read these figures about five years ago. In America, the average food item in a supermarket travels 2,000 miles. In New Zealand, the average food, food item travels 1,100 kilometres. If, if we're having difficulty producing the food in the first place and then transporting the food, the, the amount of food we're going to have available from outside of our community is going to be very small. So we have to have really good food production. Like they said in Willits, if, you know, we've, got, we've got to give this a go. We've got to, we've got to do it. So if we can, can localise our food production, if we can start to localise some other important aspects of our economy, then that's, that's a huge move towards coping with the changes. In fact, dozens of Northland producers are already putting relocalisation into practice. The Saturday morning Whangarei Growers Market started 10 years ago when growers couldn't sell their produce to local supermarkets. It's now the biggest in the country and a Whangarei social institution. There's three leeks in that bunch of leeks for $2.50. You'd, probably, you'd be paying $1.50 each for those at least in the supermarket. And um, celery? Celery, bunch of celery here, $1.50. You'd be paying anything up to $4 for a bunch of celery. The tomatoes here today, they're as cheap as $3 a kilo over there. Um, and I think in the supermarkets they're about 7 aren't they? 7 or 8 It's, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Robert Bradley, the grower who founded the market, says 6,000 people a week now bypass the supermarkets and buy their supplies, including cheese, meat and milk, from the growers' market. He says at first the market grew because people liked the funky atmosphere and the fresh veggies, but he believes the latest growth surge has been driven by rising supermarket prices. The thing which indicates that rising costs is a factor is that we've probably had a 12 to 15% increase in customs since Christmas. Um, you know, we've, it's noticeable that we are selling a lot more stuff now. And luckily we've got the stuff. I mean, this market has grown every single year in the 10 years since it started. It's grown every single year by a significant amount. But that, um, that growth leap this year would be one of the biggest, I suppose. It would be in a three or four month period, yes. Normally we would expect that kind of growth over about 12 months. What seems to happen is that um, the public exists in layers. And, and there's a layer of people who are very concerned about the cost of stuff. And then they'll, if the price in the supermarket gets high, a whole lot of new people will come here. And even if the price lowers again, a lot of those people will stay here because they suddenly realise that actually fresh does taste best. <laughs> 
And in some country areas, people are finding ways to provide for themselves. In the little farming settlement of Orumahoi, just down the road from Kirikiri, seven local families have created a community vegetable garden in the fertile soils of the local school grounds. Permaculture and thrift are the guiding principles. I'm on a um, domestic purposes benefit. I live only two k's from the school, so we've started walking to school in the mornings. Save fuel costs, and it's good growing food because, like, even just the salad greens can add up. Mm. We're trying to grow a lot of food from seed as well, so that reduces the costs because one packet of seed can be two or three dollars, and you might get two thousand carrots out of it. Carol Butler is another who's aiming for self-sufficiency in her 60s. The former super yacht skipper who came ashore for good in May has planted 700 olive trees on her land near Matapori, bought an olive press and taken up gardening. We had such a fabulous year in that funny little garden but uh, we just threw that together because we didn't have time to do much else and we've had a fantastic crops this year and that's really encouraged me. Um, put in a little tunnel house and... So we're now starting to propagate our own seeds and then I'll look into seed saving. And we generally, I think, are looking at more trading with the community. You know, I mean, my next door neighbour brought me 10 avocados yesterday, so I gave him some olive oil and I've got good pumpkins this year and he's got great plums. So I think that's what we're looking at in a more fairly self-sufficient I really hate shopping in the supermarket. It's not good food. In Hokianga, already suffering from peak petrol, Tafiri Riwai and his whānau are thinking along similar lines. For them, it would be a case of going back to the way they lived as children. Oh, we were really lucky where we were, though. Eh? So we, were, we were in a valley where um, you know, all those, all those sorts of things were possible. My grandmother used to wake me up every morning at like 5 o'clock which was unheard of for me now, but back then it was just an everyday thing. And she would get me up and with my, little, with my older brother and we'd go out and milk a cow, you know, and that would supply us with the milk that we needed for, you know, four days or five days, almost up to a week, you know. We, we have been seriously thinking about, you know, we should be actually going towards and actually doing it now because we've been thinking about it for a while. I just got to give it a blast, though, because everything's just skyrocketed now. Yeah. Ken Ross, teacher, scientist and observer, believes Tafiri, Carol and co are on the right track for a very different future. Over the last 50 to 100 years we've climbed a mountain on the back of oil and now we're on the top and now we've got to come down off the mountain and any climber knows that coming down off the mountain is actually harder than going up the mountain. When you're going up a mountain, all the tracks lead to the top. When you come down off the mountain, the tracks can lead you anywhere. A ridge can take you in a false direction. So you've got to plan your, your way and pick your way very carefully, especially when you're tired and especially when you're disillusioned and, and all those other things. And I, I think that as we come down off this mountain, there'll be small troughs and peaks, but we're going to keep coming down. We're going to have a very different lifestyle to the one that we've been enjoying for the last 50 or so years. We're going to have a lifestyle which is probably more akin to what our parents and grandparents did in terms of the resources and the energies that we have at our disposal. That programme was written and presented by Lois Williams. Technical production was by Nick Shave and the producer was Sue Ingram.